back in 2014, I experienced what I now know to be an anxiety attack. Um, so anxiety attacked me. <laughs> the situation, my wife and kids were living in a city called Clovis, California, and every year they would go to um, <coughs> the students at the church we're at, the junior high, high school, and college students would go to a city called Aurorsi, and it was about 45 minutes south of Fresno area into the farms that really farm a lot of the food that we eat in Costco that is delivered out to the different supermarkets, um, even out here. Sometimes I pick up food from Costco, I'm like, oh wow, it's from Clovis, or it's from, you know, Salinas, this little areas that we used to live by. And I laugh because of how far it travels just to get here, and we used to, used to be in our backyard. But um, the people that would farm these lands were typically uh, Mexican workers that would farm in these communities. And, and many of the kids had not a whole lot to do. And so the church would go out and we would have different ways to engage the commu community through music, through skits, through sports, through Bible stories, through snacks, through games, through bounce houses, um, through going to door to door. And it was <coughs> a lot of fun. And... In some ways, and a lot of fun. It, it was terrible for me because I'm just allergic to literally the whole city, the whole valley. And so pollen, pollen levels were um, over the 100 range. It was, on, it was constantly in the red alert range. And so my eyes would be itchy or I would, I, after, you know, just different parts of the day, I would rub my eyes and there'd be all these particles there. Um, I would wear a mask. I'd take special allergy medicines. And I would be thinking about it a lot. And I would psych myself out with regards to how bad it was. And I remember being there, going through day one, is okay, day two is okay. But day, by day three or day four, I was literally wheezing and I couldn't breathe through my nose. I would try to go like this and, and no air would pass through my nose. And so I was, also, I was just breathing mainly through my mouth. And so as I was breathing through my mouth, I was actually inhaling more and more dust particles in my lungs. And so I go, I can't be outside anymore. So I knocked on the pastor's door and I just said, can I just come in, please? And so I was hanging out there for two or three hours and I still wheezed. And the pastor's wife was looking at me like, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know. I just can't breathe very well. And she goes, I'm going to take you to the urgent care. And so she rushes me to the urgent care. And they put this albuterol treatment on me and it's helping me breathe. And at one point, you guys know albuterol treatments? We have nurses and doctors here. At one point, I literally heaved a big bubble out of my mouth. It's like, you know, blowing a baseball. <laughs> um, you know, big league chew, chewing the gum, blowing out a bubble. Well, this was like a phlegm bubble that came out of my mouth because there's so much stuff going on in there. <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. Um, and so that was the first year in 2014. So 2015, okay, I know it's coming up again. I'm looking at the calendar. Oh gosh, it's almost spring break and missions. Um, so the first three weeks leading up to spring break, we would go and prepare and engage with the city and work with the church there. And so we got on the bus that day. And so I started hyperventilating. Um, I couldn't breathe because I was remembering all of what I remembered the year before. And so I just was going crazy. Like I felt like I was a fish out of water or... Uh, a mouse that was trapped or something, but I literally screamed at the bus driver, I'm going crazy, I'm gonna throw up in the bus. <laughs> so I asked the bus driver to pull over. 
and I literally ran out of the bus and I tried to barf and I just heaved a lot, but nothing happened. But I was still really anxious. And so I basically got back into the van and I asked everyone, you just need to pray for me, all right? So they started praying and reading the Psalms and my little heart, heart calmed down. And then I was okay for the rest of the day. And then the mission week happened and I was okay for all of that week. And so, but the whole project was pray for Pastor Gary more than even the mission trip because I was so like out of it. And so that was one of the worst anxiety attacks I ever had. And it was embarrassing. And, but it's like my spiritual pride was wounded. So that's kind of a high-end experience. Maybe you can go higher and it could be worse. Um, but there's all degrees and even lower-end forms of anxiety. And I'll throw out some that you can relate to. Oftentimes, anxiety attacks are related to the following um, worry and apprehension, maybe sleep problems, irritability, restlessness, um, difficulties, concentrating, maybe sadness. Maybe you feel uh, pressured and hurried often. Uh, maybe your heart rate it changes, your, your, your heart rate's beating faster. Maybe you have tension in your, you get headaches, so you have tension in your, in your head and, and neck. Maybe you're sweating. Maybe you have a bad, bad bowel movement because the stress is affecting your intestines and affects, you know, how you go to the restroom. Uh, that could be, you maybe have trembles or shakes. Some of you guys may <coughs> um, have fainting feelings. These are all different symptoms related to anxiety. Have you experienced any of this in your life? No? You guys don't have any anxiety? Come on. All right. Be honest. Which ones have you had? I'm just kidding. But, but seriously, we are in a country where um, we have more and more devices, more and more things going on in our life, and anxiety level is going up, up, and up, and up. Um, drugs for anxiety is going up, up, and up, and pharmacies love it because they make more money, 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 and we buy the stuff, and counselors and so forth, they, they have more opportunities because we live in a country, and we are people who are anxious. Um, in the first century, if we remember the context from last week, we talked about laying up treasures in heaven, and some people are, are stressing over this. How do we lay up our treasures in heaven? And do we serve God or mammon? And that's a point of tension then, and it is also a point of tension today, anxiety today. Also, the first century disciples went through um, different levels of anxiety. Some of them worried that, well, look, I saw my friend get cru crucified, and even some of them were crucified upside down. I, I might be next. Or <clears throat> the Roman rule was such... Um, such difficult people that they had creative ways of harming Christians. And so one of them was to get lions to get uh, very hungry to the point they're starving and they would throw Christians into the stadium so that the Christians would run around and the lions would run around until they would bite their head or knee and, and gobble them up. Um, and Pro Nero was crazy. And I, I just found, I just learned this last week. I didn't know he did this, but he would dip Christians completely into pitch. You guys know what pitch is? It's like what? It's like tar. And so what he would do is hang them on, hang Christians on poles and light them to be human torches around his garden. And so, yes, that caused anxiety. Just thinking about, oh, is he going to get me? Am I going to be rolled into pitch? And am I going to be lit up as a torch? And so there's anxiety in the first century. There's anxiety today, different sources of anxiety. 
But without a doubt, in this passage, in these 10 verses that Dean read and we listen, I believe that Jesus is talking about anxiety because anxiousness or anxiety was stated six times. And Jesus' commands, I believe, three or four times, do not be anxious. And when Jesus gives a command, I want you to know, if he gives us a command, he gives us the capacity to obey the command. It's just important to understand. He doesn't just say, don't do this, don't do this, and like it's impossible to do. He gives us the grace and the resource to obey this command. And this is a command that's a little bit different. It's not like the command, you know, do not lie or do not steal or do not murder. This command is more like the commands we see in scripture, do not be afraid. Or you see the angels, they often say, fear not. And so as we look at this command, it's not this father saying, no, no, no. It's more, I believe, uh, God coming alongside us and he's putting his hand around his shoulder and he's coming alongside us to encourage us in our times of stress and times of anxiety. And he just wants us to know that he is with us. Um, he's reassuring us. He's not demanding something of us. He's not reprimanding us. And so um, in light of a little bit of the time, I'm just going to keep rolling through um, <coughs> this passage. We're going to look at eight reasons to combat and to fight anxiety. And so the first reason we're going to look at is the fact that Jesus declares that life is more than money, food, or drink. And we see that in verse chapter 6, verse 24. We pick up a little bit from last week into verse 24, where Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God or money. And so last week I used the illustration that of a dog and how a dog is usually loyal to one master before anyone else. In the same token, I'm not saying we're dogs as, as Christians. God has made us loyal to, 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 to follow after one. And he, the one he wants us is to, to follow after God with a singular passion. But we do struggle with the temptations that come along with money. And so Jesus is aware of that, this tension between following God and, and being tempted to be consumed um, with money. Um, so in verse 25, Jesus says, in light of that struggle, in light of that context, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. For what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. Really, pretty much anything about life. Why? Why? Why is Jesus saying this? Why is he putting it out this way? He poses now a question. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? It's interesting because I believe some of us think life is about the next meal, the next food, and the next thing we are going to wear. But, but Jesus is saying life is much more. But he is understanding that yeah, these are a big deal to us and, and for these reasons. If we would lose food or clothing, we would lose the following. Um, if, we're not, if we don't have food, we will lose the pleasure of eating. Um, if, we will, if we lose clothing, um, people might not be able to look at us and say, hey, oh, that's, that's a nice shirt or blouse or suit that you're wearing. And so you lose the human recognition or human praise of others. 
or if we did not have, uh, if we lose our life, <coughs> if we, excuse me, if we, if we would lose long life, if we had no food, um, and if we had no clothing, that would cause a degree and form of anxiousness in our life. John Piper says, hey, life is more than food or drink, and he puts it in this way, and I love what he has to say. He says, to this, to this Jesus responds, if you are gripped by anxiety over these things, you have lost sight of the greatness of life. Life is not given primarily for the physical pleasures, but for something greater, the enjoyment of God. That's one of our statements in our mission. It's really the first, that we would enjoy God, that He would be the greatest joy and the greatest pleasure in this life and in the life to come. Life was not given primarily for the approval of a man, but for something greater, the approval of God. Life was not even given primarily for an extension of, the, of, this, of this earth, but for something greater, eternity with God in the age to come. And so, we not ought to be anxious for food or clothing, but God has a greater purpose for us, a greater enjoyment that He wants us to enjoy, and He doesn't want us to lose sight of that. So number two, the second reason, Jesus says, to look at the birds as proof that God cares for you more. We just look at the birds. Some of you may be into bird watching. You like to watch birds and how they conduct themselves. Well, Jesus says, hey, there are lessons that we can learn from looking at the birds with regard to the way God provides. In verse 20 says, he says, look at the birds of the air and neither <laughs> and they neither sow or reap or gather in barns. Birds don't get, they don't gather, they don't farm, they don't, get, they don't try to produce food, and nor do they gather stuff um, into barns. They, just, they don't do that at all. They don't work in that way. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? Understand, this is not a declaration to say, hey, be lazy. Even the birds need to do activity to eat, right? Um, some birds, I believe, they, they fly down and they like say, oh, that's a tasty worm. I mean, for us, like, that's a tasty steak. But that's a tasty worm. They go down and they, they bite that worm and they, you know, they swallow it in. And this is really good, I'm sure, for them. I don't care to eat worms, but birds, that's, that's their deal. That's their diet. Um, and they eat bugs and, and, other, and other things. But the point Jesus is saying is that they don't even... It doesn't even cross a little bird brain, their mind, to think, am I going to have any food? They don't, they don't think that way. And Jesus is simply saying, hey, if the birds don't need to worry about where their food's going to come from, you, my children, you, part of my kingdom, you don't need to worry that God the Father will provide for you. <coughs> and He will give you all, all that you need. So you don't need to worry about tomorrow. This is know that God gives you enough grace each day. Number three, um, the third reason um, <clears throat> Jesus states is that why we don't have to, to worry or be anxious and why we 
um, don't need to run to all these other devices for, for a cure for anxiety. He literally says anxiety is useless. In verse 27, the third reason here, Jesus says, And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? By being anxious, by me having a panic attack, was that going to do anything? Um, it wasn't. I mean, sometimes I feel like I can't breathe and it's so bad, I, I literally shove straws into my nose to think that would, like, you know, help the nasal passway, passageway. And I do use a lot of saline rinse, and I think that makes me feel better. But seriously, Jesus says it's not going to add even a single hour to life by being anxious. And so he literally says um, that this won't do any good and it is useless. And so that's reason number three. Reason number four, Jesus wants you to learn how he, how God the Father adorns the lilies. This is just fascinating. I don't know if you look around or you're into flowers or if you like it, if a guy gave you as a woman a bunch of uh, lilies. Um, lilies are really a common flower, um, <coughs> pretty much as common as grass. And so we see and learn a lesson from from, from lilies here in verse 28. Jesus says here, And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They, ne they neither toil nor spin. The lilies, these flowers, these beautiful grass, they, they don't work. They don't, they don't spin clothing to, to make themselves beautiful. But yet God adorns the lilies of the field with some of the most beautiful colors um, and really <clears throat> beautifies these lilies themselves. And so Jesus's point is simple. If God is going to adorn, adorn these common flowers, these lilies, how much more that he will provide and adorn you and provide coverage and clothing for you as his very own children. In verse 29 and 30, Jesus makes a quick analogy here. He says, I, Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, Solomon was the wisest man and the, one of the richest man, if not the richest man of his day, was not yet arrayed like one of these, referring back to the lilies. He wasn't decked out in the same level, in the same way. <clears throat> but if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? If God is going to adorn these flowers beautifully, how much more um, he's going to adorn you? Um, Matthew Henry nails it right here and just takes what <coughs> um, Solomon's beauty and compares it to what God has done and will do for us as it relates to clothing. He says here, the ray of Solomon was, not, was very splendor and magnificent. He had, the, he had the particular treasure of kings and <coughs> provinces and, and, and studiously affected pomp and gallantry. Doubtless, doubtless had the richest, <coughs> richest clothing and, and the best made up. That he, could, that he could be got 
that he could buy, especially when he appeared in his glory on high days, and yet let him dress himself as fine as he could, he comes far short of the beauty of the lilies, and a bed of tulips outshine him. That's fascinating. God and his graciousness and his desire to adorn flowers far exceeded how Solomon can adorn himself. And he's just saying to us simply, if God's going to make flowers beautiful and close them, to you, my children, I will provide that much more and some. And so you don't need to worry. Um, Peter was a man in the Gospels that was known to worry a lot. He worried about taxes. He worried about drowning. He worried about suffering. He worried about betraying Jesus. He worried a lot. And you could probably call him a worry wart if you wanted to. But he learned his lessons, and he wrote a couple of epistles, 1 and 2 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he learned this basic truth. To cast all your anxiety on him, on God, because he cares for you. Reason number five. Um, Jesus points out our lack of faith um, in verse 31 and 32. He says, again, in the light of this context, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, we will, we shall, what we shall eat, what we shall work, what, excuse me, what we shall drink, and what we shall wear. And he's saying, when you are asking these questions, are begging these questions, he's saying, deep down, you lack faith. You lack confidence in a God who cares, in a God who provides, and the God who literally declares, I am Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. And I, I thought about this truth all the time. I go, we might be middle or lower, middle, upper class, whatever. We're, we're used to God's provision. But this promise goes for every believer everywhere. So when you lose your job for a year or a month or 10 months, this pr promise still um, applies to you. If you find yourself in some desolate place or jungle or desert, this promise still applies to you. God has to figure out how to apply this basic reality to you. And he says to think like this and to have this line of questioning is likened to the unbeliever. He says, for the Gentiles seek all these things. You're acting like a person that's not confident and not trusting in the Lord, who is the great provider. And so, it's, as we got the interview from Will Taylor, I, I love the Southern Baptists. Um, they're just well organized and they want to see the gospel go forth. And when I looked at that list, we benefit from a lot of those. We are a Namby church plant. I have my retirement through Guidestone. Um, I've interacted with a lot of these seminaries. Half these seminaries I've seen or I've interacted with professors there, have had friends or disciplees trained at these schools. Um, some of our best friends are IMB missionaries um, everywhere. And sometimes I look at it and I read missionary books, and it's fascinating. Many missionaries in yesteryears would go banking on this promise without the support of an IMB or an ANB. You know, we're, we're worried about it. Are we going to get 5,000 or 10,000 or different levels of support or full support if we become a missionary? But missionaries often went and said, hey, God's going to provide. I'm literally just going to go. I don't need a mission agency. I just need 
God. And I don't doubt that God uses it. And I love this on the Baptist channel, all the uh, finances do, and they do it well. And that we praise God for it. But I, I believe you can go places and God is obligated to his children everywhere to provide. And so a few more reminders of how God provides. Um, reason number six, Jesus reminds us that our Heavenly Father knows our needs. Verse 32, the latter part here, Jesus reminds us simply of this basic truth. Our Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He, does, he knows. There's, he knows. He knows your every need. He's not looking and think, oh, God doesn't have problems. He's not like us. He doesn't say, oh, I forgot you, and I'll remember this person. No, he remembers every one of you and the details and struggles you, you go through. And so you don't need to be anxious because God got you in every way. He got your back. He got your needs. He doesn't promise that everyone's going to eat like your favorite restaurants, but he's, gonna, he's promising that, hey, you're going to have clothes to wear and enough food to sustain your body. I don't know what that means sometimes. Um, sometimes I laugh. I go, well, you know, you could buy Top Ramen at a really cheap place for a nickel, and if that means Top Ramen for the rest of my life, and that's how God provides, so be it. Or if I need to learn how to, you know, eat worms and eat birds or whatever and just kill them and step on them, eat roadkill or whatever, We'll do that. I had a friend who literally picked up roadkill and, and cooked it and ate it. I'm like, that's, that's, that's good for you. And he said it tasted great. Um, so if that's how God provides, so be it. If a bird needs to be flying by this island and just dies all of a sudden and comes down in front of you, that's what you eat. I mean, manna came, manna came from heaven. So, I mean, God provided in that time in the Old Testament. Um, reason number seven, Jesus commands us to seek the kingdom first. And so this is a first command in this section where it's positive, where Jesus says, hey, take your anxious energy and your worry and focus it and turn it toward God. Trust, rely, bank, focus on God himself. And he says to do it this way, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto you. God wants his children to seek, seek him first. Um, to seek not just him, but to conduct themselves in righteousness in a manner worthy of the gospel, to live rightly, to think rightly, to behave rightly, to do as according to God's word. And I believe if you do this, God will supply all accordingly to you. You'll, you'll see the physical needs and everything come to you. Um, if this tr verse is true, and I want to believe it's true because it's in God's word and I've seen God work in people's lives in this way. And I want you to know, as you look at this word, I believe this is a word, this is a blessed statement. Do you know how, I just want to ask you this question, do you know how blessed this statement is? To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Righteousness used in the Sermon on the Mount is fascinating to me. If you remember in the first part of the Beatitudes, it says hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is, is coming at us from a perspective that we lack righteousness and we need God's righteous standing to make us right with Him, to be whole, to be righteous because we lack it. And then you come to the end of the Beatitudes, it says that we are being persecuted for righteousness. So believers become whole, they're living righteously, and then 
they're being persecuted because of it. And now here toward the middle end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, hey, if you're stressing out, if you're facing anxiety, he says, seek for us the kingdom of God and live rightly. Live as a citizen of the king and he will add everything unto you. It's just fascinating how God is concerned about us living righteously and wants to really unleash and downpour his blessings upon us. James Boyce says it works this way. When you seek the kingdom of God first, he works for you and provides all your needs. The best reason to stop being anxious is that when you do, God, start, God starts being anxious for you. It's such a foolish thing to insist on carrying anxious burdens which God has promised to carry for us when we put His kingly honor first in everything we do. Amen to that. Amen to living for God's glory and His kingdom and not your own. I think many times we're just worrying about our own kingdom. What we want, how we want it, when we want it, what we like about it. But God says, hey, live for me and my kingdom. <laughs> Lastly, lesson number eight. Jesus reigns over each day. Verse 34. This is the last way he says we can combat anxiety. It's pretty straightforward here. He says, therefore, and next, I think this is the third, third, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's pretty straightforward. Worrying is not going to accomplish anything. God will take care of every day. And guess what? The Lord reigns. He is a sovereign ruler over every generation, every day, and of your particular life and family. And God has, God got you this day and the next day, but he says, hey, just take care and be mindful of following me in this day right now. I'll close with this. John Stott says this, the Christian's freedom from anxiety is not due to some guaranteed freedom from trouble, so don't be thinking that way, but to the folly of worry and especially to the confidence that God is our Father and that even permitted suffering is within the orbit of his care. So in this life, there will be suffering and there will be many tribulations. And we even see how God interacted with Job. He experienced a lot of suffering. But know that God is there. Know that God is caring for you. And know that God is obligated literally to himself to provide for you at all times in every season of life. And I want to leave you with this, that <clears throat> God provides for you in a sense of the things in this life, but God also provides for you um, for your very soul. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life, to be buried, to, di to, <clears throat> to die and to be buried and to rose again. And He's ultimately the great provider for your spiritual debt before a holy God, the fact that you're not just hungry and thirsting for righteousness, the Beatitudes that said one time you were poor in spirit, that you're impoverished spiritually and totally needy, 
needing of God's righteousness and God's provision to rescue you and to save you. So if you don't know Jesus Christ, I encourage you to run to him as a great provider for your soul. And if you're struggling with stress and anxiety, I encourage you to run to Jesus and remember these truths. This, the two main ones are the birds and the lilies. And he gives you these beautiful pictures to remember how much he cares for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this reminder of how much you care for us. And may that dominate our thinking. May that also dominate our believing that you are a God who cares much and provides everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Lord, may we live lives that are stress-free. And may we be captivated by you, our ultimate um, provider um, in this life and securing us in Christ for the life to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.